This morning is Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17. This one will be one that will be nice to be able to look at as I read. Matthew 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathen, and Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Merry Christmas, Anna. You get to read Matthew 1. <laughs> and she did so well. You might be thinking, are we sure this is the word of the Lord? Thanks be to God when you hear a genealogy like that. But if it's in the word of the Lord and we believe the word of the Lord is inspired by God, given by God, he must have a reason for it to be here. And some of the power even in a verse, verses like this is actually to hear them read. Those are all generations, after generation, and we're going to talk about that this morning. We've been pointing our series on the life of Jacob towards Emmanuel, God with us, for the past couple weeks of Advent, but for weeks three and four of Advent, I want to focus in on the first chapter of Matthew 1, to celebrate and to explore Emmanuel, which means God with us. The name comes from Isaiah 7, where 
He writes, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew quotes the verses in Isaiah in verse 22 and 23 of our passage. At the end of this long genealogy and at the end of this story of Joseph we'll get to next Sunday, what could possibly drive Matthew, the gospel writer, to think about beginning his book with a long list of names. Was that a good hook? Did it draw you in? What could possibly have been going through his mind? This morning I want to show you that this is not just a dry, empty list of names, but a rich, full statement on the historicity of the gospel, on the gospel news, And that grace breaks down barriers and that ultimate rest is from the Lord. Rest from our self-effort. We're going to be shown three things today. History, grace, and rest. Three things. History, grace, and rest at Christmas. That's where we're headed this morning. So hopefully you got your outline there. A little half-sheet insert for those of you who like to write notes, jot things down, those of you who remember by writing. That's why we do that as people learn in different ways. Have that outline open, and all of us at least have our Bible open to Matthew 1. We're going to begin by showing us three things. Here's the first thing I want you to be shown. The genealogy here that Matthew records roots the gospel in history and God's timing. History and God's timing. Well, whereas Luke, which if you know the Christmas story, Luke, Luke's gospel jumps right into storytelling, jumps right into what's going on and and, and narrative story, where Matthew decides to take a step back in his presentation of of the birth of Christ. He steps back and begins not with a manger scene, we're all so familiar with, but this long list of names. Names that are hard to pronounce. Anna did fantastic. Names we've never even heard before. I know when we come to the genealogies in the Bible, I am sure we think as I do, what is this about? Why would this be put here? Why are we even looking at this this morning? Seems tedious, maybe even boring to you as you hear all those names read. But one of the things we have learned by looking at our Genesis series, that Emmanuel... God with us is not just about the birth of Jesus, but about a plan, a process, a plan that's gone all the way back and it's rooted in history. If Genesis has shown us anything, it's that. That it's not just about that moment of birth, but it's God's plan that has gone back. Remember, all the way back to Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he, that's this one to come, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Remember this. Do you remember? I hope you remember. The snake crusher we've been calling him will come from the woman's seed, from Eve, from her lineage, and he will crush the snake's head, the serpent, Satan, But did you know, I mean, that's pretty far back in history, wouldn't you say? That's pretty far back. But did you know 
That the gospel, the planning, the coming of Jesus is even shown to be rooted deeper back in history than the first man and woman. It goes back before time. Revelation 13, in the middle kind of a stream verse here, and all who dwell on earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. So the writer here is speaking and writing of this book that has been in existence since before the foundation of the world, which the names are written in it of those who will come and believe in this lamb who will be slain. Before the foundation of the world even, it goes back, this story. This has been God's plan, in other words, before history even began. And the specific names of individuals who would be saved even are written in this book. The writer of Revelation says, this book of life that's named after this lamb who was slain before the foundation of everything we know to exist. That's, that's about as far back in history as you can get when you say you can't go much further than that. So when Matthew comes to the genealogy, we come to Matthew's genealogy, that's what we are doing. He's showing us that the gospel is rooted in history, even before the exact moment of Jesus' birth. The climax of what God had been doing throughout all of history recorded in the Bible is Emmanuel, God with us, and all the way back before the foundation of the world even. That's the climax we're getting to at Advent. Matthew doesn't begin in a galaxy far, far away with that kind of language or a once upon a time, none of that like some fantastic story or fairy tale or sci-fi movie. No, he says, this actually happened. This is the genealogy of Christ. It's the first words of his, of his gospel. This is the genealogy of Christ. You know, genealogies were actually really important to ancient people. Ancient people who had a worldview that was based much more on family honor and family shame and family history and who you came from and your pedigree rather than our individualistic day-to-day. Much different. I mean, we may join Ancestry.com. Who likes to do genealogy? Anybody in here? Two, three, okay, four, a few of you. Okay, okay we got a handful of people I see in the back there. You might join Ancestry.com to kind of find our story, where we came from, maybe some of the details of the past, or we like to kind of say, well, I'm a descendant of a president or a war hero or a suffragette or somebody that's important in history. But with ancient people, there was a pride in a pure lineage, however they would define that. Success, leaders, heroes. There was a real, it was a big deal. And here are a couple names you, see, you heard and you see, they were highlighted for us. Son of David, David, King David, in the lineage, all right. Son of Abraham, who more important for the Hebrew people? The son of Abraham, that's who Jesus is. And by linking Jesus to David and Abraham, Matthew's showing that Jesus is the fulfillment of all history. Because these were the figures of history. 
Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abraham, you probably remember this from our first, uh, our second Genesis series. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, blessed to be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will, will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Matthew links and pulls out this really important name and links Jesus to Abraham as he is from the seed of Abraham, the man through whom all the nations would be blessed, connects to a really important name, fulfilling that promise to Abraham. It's Jesus. Well, here to David in the Davidic covenant, that was the Abrahamic covenant. Here's the Davidic covenant, which remember is a relational agreement between two parties to, with different uh, responsibilities and rights and privileges. Well, here's what was said to David. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Well, how does a human being have an eternal throne? I mean, yes, of course, his sons came after him, but how does it establish forever? Well, the name's listed here, so we'll see. Jesus is the fulfillment of that, the true ultimate king that will rule forever. And in the Davidic covenant, we're shown that proof that Jesus is, he's the forever king who will rule forever from the line of David. There's the genealogy, the important names rooted in history. Jesus fulfills all history. Matthew's showing us that, that the root of history and God's timing here. And here's the connection for Emmanuel, God with us, uh, for us and our lives. In our recent membership class, someone said uh, th this very thing. It's something we talk about here frequently. They said, you know, the gospel's good news, not advice. They said that in our class. The gospel's good news, not good advice. And by showing us the historical roots in this genealogy, that's what Matthew's doing. He's showing you and I today that the gospel's good news, not advice. We've talked about this before, but let's, it's important to hit again. What do I mean by that? That it's good news, not advice. Advice is like good counsel that you get. It's something, uh, it's something you must do. It's something you must accomplish when you're given good advice. Whereas the gospel is good news. It's something that's already been done. It's been done. It has been accomplished. Advice is where you have to bring about an effect after hearing the advice. You better act upon this advice. It's good advice. You better respond. Well, good news is something that you need to be shown. You need to be shown the good news, to hear it and recognize it, and then respond to it. This is why preachers and angels, not the preachers are angels, many of them are not, but preachers and angels have been called to herald, to, to just speak the good news. They bring the news back. This is what a herald does. A herald brings the good news back from the front line of war. That's what a herald is and what a herald does. If an invading army is coming to attack Canby, let's just talk in a hypothetical. We're probably not on the map for many major armies, but maybe. If an invading army is coming to attack Canby, what do we need? We need advice. 
set up the front line there, put the guns on the top of the building there, put the snipers over there, set the landmines there. We need good advice. An army's coming to Canby to get us. But let's say this loyal or this benevolent local king stepped in before the army got here and destroyed the army before it ever crossed the Willamette River. What do we need then? We need a historical announcement. We need a messenger to come and say, ah, the book of the genealogy of Jesus, son of David and Abraham. We need an announcement. Excuse me. I bring you good news of great joy. Our theme today For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In other words, put your arms down. The victory has been won. Stop trying to save yourself. Good news is here. It's been done. Well, what's been done? What's been accomplished? Well, all of us know Christmas is a time of shopping, uh, shopping, and I can think of times when I was a kid and it was like a big deal to go to the mall, and uh, many times it was, as a procrastinator, Christmas Eve, I won't lie, <laughs> even married, actually, I shouldn't say that, but that was when I was first married, not anymore. Christmas is a time of shopping, and before it was all online, you would go places, wouldn't you? And you would end up with a big pile of receipts on the floor at the end. And if they were CVS receipts like these, they'd be like nine feet long. We <laughs> got those, and they're like, why does it have to be this long? And you could see, I paid this much for toys, and this much I bought the grocery store for the Christmas dinner stuff, the ham, and this and that, and, and I paid this much for that item. You could see the track of what you'd paid. Well, rooting the gospel in history as, as, as an objective act, something done, makes your receipt now look like this one. Take a look at this receipt. Sin paid. Shame paid. Pain paid. Past mistakes paid. Rejection and loneliness paid. Slavery to sin and death uh, paid. Spiritual death paid. How much did you owe? Zero. Zero. Subtotal zero. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the gospel history. I come to you. I pay for you. I act for you. Hear the story and believe. It's good news, not advice. You know, every other religion of the world is based on good advice. We've said this before, but it's worth hearing. Every other religion of the world, the teacher comes and says, live this way, let me show you some good advice, how to live so your life goes well, now you better get to it. Only in the gospel does Jesus Christ come and say, paid, done, history, completed, good news, not advice. It's the only one. And that's what Advent is getting us towards. That's what Matthew is trying to get us to see by listing this long name, list of names. It's like uh, Jacob's angel staircase, remember? I come down to you in real time and space. Remember the angels came down? It's Emmanuel, God with us. It's history. Good news, not advice. God paying your debt. Paid. Paid, and you owe 
nothing. But the genealogy also shows us God's timing. So history and connected to that is timing. The genealogy shows generations and generations. You heard the names, right? Generations and generations, which spans millennia. Not just decades or centuries, millennia. And then as the Old Testament closes, the book of Malachi, the last one, the Old Testament, you know what happens after that? 400 years of silence. Nothing. Nothing from God. No prophets. No Messiah. 400 years. How many generations came and went within that time? Four or five? Can you imagine the patient mind that plans the salvation of the world and then does it over thousands of years? I actually can't because I don't think I could ever have that kind of patience. (laughs) Maybe you're with me. And then even go, you know what, here's a 400-year window where there's nothing. Dead airwaves. Nothing. Yeah, I want it my way and now, right? The snake crusher would have come right from Eve and that would have been the end of it. There wouldn't be, and so begat, and so begat, and so begat. The genealogy shows you and I that God takes his time. And he has his own time that is not your time, not my time, not the time that I think is best for God. So we can't judge God according to our own timetable in the face of a genealogy like this. For whatever is going on in your life, in our own calendar, when we think things should happen, I know for some of you here today, you are about to give up on God. Because you're waiting. (laughs) And you're waiting. And I'm waiting for this thing to happen or that thing to happen, or this promise to be answered, or for that thing to change. He's been silent for so long, you feel. His grace, his answer isn't coming on my timetable, on your timetable. What is that for you? It's something. There's something for each and every one of us. And maybe even today you feel like, I'm about to give up. I'm frustrated. You're even angry at God, maybe. Look at verse 2. Let's look at verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. There's our man. And Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. There's our friend Jacob from our series that we're in right now. And then Judah was Jacob's son through whom the Messiah comes, through that line. Talk about a different kind of timing. (laughs) A totally otherworldly timetable. And way of working. Jacob, who lied, who deceived, who fractured his family over decades. And because of this, remember, met Leah. Leah, through whom Jesus would come. You see, God is up to things in your life that you can't see on a timetable. You can't see on a a calendar, and you can't actually understand, because when you look at a plan like this of generations and generations, we see that God's plan is over millennia, over over all of history. I saw a quote from Elizabeth Elliot this week that I thought fit this well. 
when we're thinking of God's timing. She said, he keeps us on purpose in the dark. He makes us walk when we want to run. Sit still when we want to walk. For he has things to do in our souls that we're not interested in. 400 years was a long, dark time. Jacob wanted to run, get the blessing now. No, Jacob, work for 20 years. What does he have you sitting in today when you want to walk away? Let the genealogy show you that this morning, that God is a God who has come to history and works on his timeline, not your own. But it's because he's got a better plan and sometimes doing things inside your soul and heart that you're not even interested in, that you don't even know are good for you, he's doing. Let's go from history to grace. Let's look at the second thing we're shown this morning. The genealogy shows us the gospel is a gospel of grace and it destroys It destroys barriers. It's grace and barriers. So from history to grace. In our day and age, think about when we are desiring to impress someone, especially as it relates to a job we're pursuing. I'm sure you've pursued a job, put in an application, and if you've got a little track record of of work, we give them usually a resume. A resume that says, well, here's what I've accomplished, and here's my experience, here's my track record. Well, in Jesus' day, we've hit on this a little bit already, that resume was the family genealogy. It was your track record. It was your record of success of great landowners and and farmers and, and leaders in the community. Maybe you had a priest in there too even, if you were really lucky. It was your track record. It was like your, 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 your resume. I mean, you have some idea of that uh, when you mention family names that have lived and can be a long time. You've got some idea of kind of that, the history of being rooted with a name and a place. But it was like saying to the world with a, with a genealogy, which there were a lot of them in the old times, the ancient days, it was like saying, here's my track record. Uh, let this vouch for me. I mean, Herod the Great, these genealogies were so important, Herod the Great went back and had names kind of erased from his family tree. He kind of took the, took the eraser and said, nah, no, they weren't there. Yeah, she definitely wasn't there. He just kind of blotted them out of his uh, family record. Uh, the Jewish historian Josephus pointed to different priests that were in his line to get credibility as he wrote down history of the Jewish people. It was like saying, here's my track record. Like, here's who I am. Like someone, you know, being in the, in the opposite, in the negative, being related to like this notorious criminal and changing their last name. Or those who have a fame and a history and prestige to their name, they don't change their maiden name, they kind of hyphenate it. There, there's, there's that association with the history of that name. Matthew does the exact opposite. He fills the list with names that you wouldn't want to be associated with. (laughs) Names you would not want on your resume. Who are they? Let's look at them. First, let's look at this. It's the women. 
Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, the wife of Uriah. That's a weird way to say that, isn't it? And then Mary. Here they are. Well, to us, we look at it and we think, yeah, what's the big deal? They were part of the family lineage. Well, women at this time, it was a different life for women. And actually, the gospel of Jesus Christ, do you know why it attracted so many women uh, early on? Because it finally gave them the dignity, the worth, and the value, and the respect that they deserve by just being image bearers. That's why it attracted women. But at this time, you know, women, they were viewed differently. We look at it and go, I don't get it. A woman had no legal rights at this time. None. No property inheritance rights. In fact, they were viewed as the property of their husband. It's shocking for us today. Thankfully so. They couldn't, they couldn't give testimony in a court of law. It didn't even matter what they saw or what they heard. It didn't matter. They were a woman. But here, Matthew mentions five women as ancestors. You might call them, uh, Tim Keller called them the mothers of Jesus. In the ancestry, why would you do that? Why would you do that when it seems so counterproductive and you're trying to make a case for the Messiah? Why would you do that? Not only does he mention the women, but here's number two. Strike two against some of these, some of these witnesses, some of these names mentioned. They're foreign women as well. Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth, they aren't even Jewish. Now, as a good Jew, you wouldn't want some dirty Gentiles in your family history. And it would be very easy to selectively not put them in there. Because actually, Matthew's genealogy is a selective genealogy. But there they are. They're not even Jewish. They're Gentiles. They're considered unclean human beings. They couldn't even enter the temple to worship Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth. They couldn't do it. And they're going to they're be part of the lineage of the Messiah? So that's number two strike against these women. They're women. They're foreigners. But let's add to that, these are women who've got some pretty nefarious, dark, nasty stories attached to them. Tamar tricked her father-in-law, Judah, to sleep with her. Incest. He had some culpability in it, too. And Judah is the line Jesus comes from, the incestuous line. Rahab was a prostitute. And Bathsheba, why is she called the wife of Uriah, do you think? It would have been much easier just to say Bathsheba. The rest of the Bible calls her Bathsheba. Matthew could have just said Bathsheba. Because even where Jesus' family tree is connected to somebody really important, who is that? King David? Royalty. Okay, finally, we've got King David. We've got royalty. What is Matthew doing? He wants you to go, yeah, that royal guy, guess what? He made some pretty big mistakes too. So even where you think your best, most shining moment comes from, King David, he could have just said Bathsheba. But by saying the wife of Uriah, what does that remind you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, David, who um, had uh, uh, an affair Adultery with Bathsheba. And, and, oh, and yeah, and then he went on and had, oh, the wife of Uriah. Oh, yeah, he had Uriah killed, didn't he? 
Matthew wants you to remember that David had her husband killed after he committed adultery with her and got her pregnant. It's a knock on David by saying it that way. That's what Matthew's doing. Why would you do this? (laughs) Why would you write a family tree like this? Well, first, Matthew wants us to see that no one is excluded from coming to this Savior. No one. It's a gospel of grace. No one. Not the prostitute, not the incestuous one, not the murderer. No one is prohibited from coming to this Savior. You know, those that society calls the outcast, maybe you feel like that. Maybe you felt like that your whole life. On the outside, never able to get in, never able to relate to people, never had people really reach out to you and make you feel warm, welcome, and safe. Maybe that's you. You are the exact type of person Jesus came for. Look at the family tree. It's riddled, it's riddled with people like that. Those that society call an outcast, the downtrodden, the moral failures, those who didn't have the right gender at that time, the racial outsiders, they can all come, all of them. Doesn't matter what your resume is, actually. In fact, Jesus loves to save those who haven't accomplished much of anything and in many cases have done some pretty horrible things to show us it's all of grace, all of it. There's a lot in this genealogy, isn't there? It's not just a dry list of names, is it? These are the people that as a Jew reading this ancestry would say, I'm not going near that one. They would, if that person was alive, they would stay away from that person because the woman who was a sinner, who was also a foreigner, was the unclean one. Which meant in their times, if you wanted to be holy, you didn't touch or go near this type of person. You want to be respectable? Don't associate with women who are foreigners, who are morally corrupt. You could catch their unholiness like you can catch COVID today. That's how they would have viewed it. It rubs off. Uh, Cooties, is that what it was in elementary school? (laughs) Yuck, I don't want to associate with those types. But these are the types, guess what, that Jesus actually touched with his hands and walked alongside them and he ate meals with them and he let them touch his feet and weep and kiss his feet and anoint him. These types, these were the types he would go near. Why is that? Guess what? Your sin can't contaminate him. It can't rub off on him. In fact, it actually needs to be the other way around. His holiness needs to rub off on you. (laughs) And you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and me. You can't contaminate him. So guess what? Come to Jesus with your sins. You're an outsider. You feel like an outcast. Oh, if you only knew the things I've done, Jeff. He does, and he saves. By grace. It has to be. Look at the family tree. Look who's in here. Matthew did not have to put them in there. And as we said, even the best in the list, King David, the hero, the man after God's own heart, guess what? Even the best one of all of our history has to be saved by grace too. If anybody could in the Jewish history, it's King David, a man after God's own heart. Guess what? He's got the front and center tabloid headline, doesn't he? Of all of them. 
He too had to be saved by grace. All Matthew had to do was say these words, the wife of Uriah. (laughs) And the whole story flooded back into the memory. What's happening here? It's all by grace, but also, too, barriers are being broken down by this genealogy. Entire walls are being shattered between different people, groups, and classes, and, and types. What we're seeing here is that no one can come to Jesus with their record or their pedigree. He is Emmanuel. He has to come to us. No one can take their record. He must save us. He must make us clean. And he's breaking down these barriers. Did you catch them in there? Did you catch them? Did you see them? I've got some listed and then some of our own. The prostitute sits with the priest in Jesus' kingdom. The Jew sits with the Gentile. Look at all these barriers just broken. The adulterer sits with the saint. The Republican sits with the Democrat. Go figure. The Oregonian sits with the Californian. The masker sits with the anti-masker. The vaxxer sits with the anti-vaxxer. The blue collar sits with the white collar. The educated sits with the uneducated. The rural canbyite, I think that's who we are. I never actually have heard. That's a guess. But the rural canbyite sits with the Portlander, the city one, the city folk. In Jesus' kingdom, Why do we wear so many of these things like virtues as if they could improve us in any way? As if they could get us a better seat at the table or closer to God or maybe at his right hand instead of his left? As they make us more lovable in God's eyes in any way? All are equally sinful and lost when you see these barriers broken down in this genealogy. All are equally in need of grace. What we're being shown here in this family tree is that every culture, everyone, every culture encourages their members to look down on some group of people, some group. And by looking down on those people, that group, we get to feel good, superior about ourselves. Every culture does this, and we've done it for all of history. There's some group that's the outsider that we kind of have a common language, and we say, like, yeah, he's one of those. She's one of those. It's insider self-righteous language is what it is. We're in, they're out, you're one of us, not one of them. Every culture does it. So I'm not just calling us out. It's every culture with no exception, no exception. We all have that other. Maybe it's on the list for you. That we're taught to view as the, they're the true unclean ones. As if they were beyond redemption, but we're okay. Jesus' family tree destroys that type of thinking. Absolutely blows it out of the water. That type of thinking that excludes someone for the kingdom just for one of these things. I mean, all I have to do is say, Tamar, Rahab, Uriah's wife, even King David. Romans 3 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All, both sides of those, that list that was up there. 
They will sit together, not because of any of those characteristic qualities, but because Jesus Christ came, Emmanuel, God with us. He breaks down barriers because it's of grace. Let's look at the final third thing this morning. We're shown that the genealogy shows us we can rest from our self-effort. Do you know why all this looking down on others happens? Do you know why? Because we feel in some place somewhere in our own efforts that we can just boost our resume a bit. Yeah, I believe I'm saved by grace. I'm not righteous. I need Jesus' righteousness, but I don't really live that way. Functionally, I rely on other things to feel good about myself. Are you constantly comparing yourself to others, maybe? Or thinking the world would be better if we got rid of X or Y or Z? Or have you maybe villainized a whole certain subset of people like they're the problem? You know why that is? It's because we believe the sin and problems outside of us are much bigger and more dangerous than the sin problem inside of us. That's why we do this. That's why we look at those groups and categorize them as the problem. Because we believe the bigger problems outside of us, the bigger problems always inside of us. And so we fixate on those people outside of us. We shun those people. Maybe we write off those people. Because when I do that, I feel pretty good. I'm, at least I'm not one of those. You see, if I can just associate with the right people in my family tree, I win like I'm on the right team or I'm on the winning side. But who are the winners in this genealogy? No one. No one. Even the king isn't. That's the point. Emmanuel had to come to us. God had to come to us and bring us peace from all your striving, all your self-efforts. Look at verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation uh, to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Matthew's using there this unique numbering of sevens, which add up to three sets of, or three sets of 14 generations, six groups of seven. That means when we get to Jesus, he becomes at the beginning of the seventh Seven. Seven is the number in the Bible associated with perfection and peace, the day God rested from creation. The seventh year was a year when you'd forgive debts and you'd let the land rest from its planting so it could rest and restore. Matthew wants to show us, even in this strange numbering that he does, that rest will come when the beginning of the seventh seven starts. When Jesus comes, rest, as that number seven points to. Only through Jesus can we step away from that, 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 that self-salvation project, that comparison with everything outside of ourselves, the family tree and the resume building. Matthew wants us to see that in Jesus, the prostitute can sit with the king. The prostitute can sit with the king that the gospel puts to rest all your efforts of self-worth, of self-accomplishment, of, of, of self-identity. The gospel gives you your very self, your very purpose, your very identity. Paid, the receipt said, didn't it? Paid, the receipt said. Paid, 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 all from top to bottom. That's what this genealogy shows us. 
In the gospel, it's been done. It's good news. Emmanuel, God with us, not advice. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for even genealogies that look dry and boring and old and stale, that they can come to life by the power of the Spirit to teach us the historicity of the gospel, the grace of the gospel, and the rest we have in the gospel. I pray today that maybe even somebody shown those new things for the first time today would be amazed and blown away that something unique happened in the birth of this one. Something unique happened of the birth of Jesus, who is God with us in the flesh. And that uniqueness was who he is, what he did on the cross for us, and what he's coming back to show us. Give us that hope this Christmas season and let us rest in the baby in the manger. In Christ's name.